Welcome to Rising Tide Startups, where today's most exciting solopreneurs share their startup stories. They also deliver tangible strategies that they would implement personally if starting their business over today. Each episode is a startup masterclass. Make sure you take notes. This is Kevin Pruitt with another episode of Rising Tide Startups, and my guest today is Gordy Braun. Gordy, thanks for joining us on Rising Tide. Thanks for having me, Kevin. I'd like to uh, take just a second and let you introduce yourself to our audience. Cool, yeah. Um, hello, everyone. My name is Gordy. I am 32 years old, a native German, currently in Berlin, Germany. And I am the CEO and co-founder of OneTool, which is a solution that helps you manage all your different SaaS software in just one platform. Um, yeah, and always traveling between the States and Germany and trying to make this a really big company. And if, you know, it doesn't take much digging in, in Gordy's profile, like on LinkedIn or even just doing web searches, but uh, you'll, you'll quickly find that one tool is not the first thing that he was involved with. So kind of walk us through the kind of the, your undergraduate, you did a master's degree in the States, and then tell us a little bit about all the different things that you've been involved with. I mean, you kind of, it, it, you've been at your young age, you've kind of turned into a serial entrepreneur here. Yeah, it's, it's crazy because, I, you know, a lot of people, they pitch themselves as serial, serial entrepreneurs, but I've done a few things, but I never saw myself. It's just naturally coming to me. But um, yeah, I think when I was 16 or 17, I realized when I was in school that I was pretty bored. You know, German schooling is very strict and you've got to do a lot of homework and uh, yeah, classwork. And I never really wanted to do that. I found it always very boring didn't want to prepare for exams but I, what I really liked in school was doing all these like extraordinary out of school activity stuff yeah and well apart from all these things that I did there I realized that I had a really strong passion for movie making and filming stuff and I also realized that bridal couples like the people that wanted to get married yeah that they are willing to spend a lot of money on that stuff <laughs> That's right. And Budget so goes out the window. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I had no idea about business. I had, well, let's say I was more than an amateur in filming. I was not professional, but I had the willingness to mix both of that together somehow and to found a platform for, well, where these people that are getting married can find movie makers. And then we would just take a commission. Sometimes we would even go and make the movies ourselves, these wedding movies. Um, yeah, that was called Wedding Films, was very interesting. And what really even happened out of that is that the partner I did it with, he's now a very well-known producer for movies in Germany. Wow. Yeah. The Steven Spielberg of Berlin. Yeah, he's based more in southern uh, Germany, in Rust, where they, there's a theme park called Europa Park. Mm -hmm. It's a like, really big theme park, and they yeah. have movie studios. And, like, okay. he do, does a lot of production there. Um, but yeah, crazy story. And well, of course, that was more a hobby than it was actually in business, but it made us some money while we were like 18 and just continued like that. Um, I think also still during high school, we were making music a little bit. And back then, I don't know if you're aware of that, but still in Germany, uh, the techno industry and the techno music scene is really yeah. big. Yeah. And yeah, we were just I think it was 2007 or so. We were going into that area, trying to produce produce some tracks. And then we magically found three labels. I think one is in Washington, was in Washington DC uh, and two in Europe that were releasing and publishing these, these music tracks. And 
what happened is that we made it, I don't know how, we made it into the iTunes top 100, which was, you know, back then Spotify didn't, didn't exist. Mm -hmm, so right. yeah. it was a really big thing to be it's in the, the iTunes place, top yeah. 100. And, um, and I realized that we had to give them 60% commission, these labels, and just decided, hey, I'm going to do my own label and we're going to publish our music on this label. And that one was called Klangpunkt. And yeah, we never produced music anymore then, um, like me and my partner back then. And I had roughly 30 or 40 other international artists on this, on this platform. Well, any um, Eurovision wannabes that were, that were on your platform? No, what's crazy now that you look back, you know, it's been more than 10 years now, is that the DJs that I promoted back then, they are now partly really famous DJs. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's this very famous club here in Berlin. It's called Bergheim. And Bergheim is probably the most famous club in, in the world. And there, a host DJ is called Dags J. And he was one of my early artists. I think crazy. the moral of the story is, you know, if you hang out with Gordy at early stage, you're going to be famous someday. So, you know, maybe, <laughs> yeah. maybe this podcast may take off now that I've had you as a guest. I mean, who knows? <laughs> Uh, I don't know. I don't know. But, you know, maybe we should also talk about the 38 other artists that we don't know about. <laughs> <laughs> no, we only focus on the successes here. But so so shortly after that, you ended up going to States and, and doing an undergraduate at University of Florida. And so how did that? Were you still involved in like doing entrepreneurial endeavors when you were there? Uh, yeah, I was. So first, it was like I was doing my undergrad in Mannheim in Germany still, mm -hmm. which is like a very prestigious business school. And what they allowed us to do is to study the law and business at the same time. Okay. And the reason why I did that is because I thought, well, it's awesome. If you want to be an entrepreneur and you want to start your own business, you've got to have both. And then I quickly realized that this is, first of all, it was really hard to study there. And secondly, it was more theory than actually practice. And that's why I decided to go to the States because back then that was 2012 2013 um entrepreneurship was not really something people would know about here in, in mm. germany yeah and i had a feeling that if i really wanted to learn the culture and what it is this like culture about entrepreneurship that i would have go, to go to america and surprisingly and that's what i found even more surprising is when i looked up all the master's programs that i could go to is that there weren't a lot around Silicon Valley and in California. And the most well-known mastership programs about, uh, master programs about entrepreneurship, they were in, well, New York, I think, and Florida, mm -hmm. and then yeah. in Texas. And yeah. that's how I went to, to Florida. Yeah. Got to Florida, then you also had, your, you got an MBA at, uh, at Baylor University, uh, Sikkim Bears. Um, <laughs> <so>. Sikkim. <laughs> that's right, so in Waco, Texas, of all places, but, it's it's interesting. I was watching a video online, and I don't know exactly what the timing is, but uh, at one point in time, you were involved in like a ride sharing service in in Germany. That was, you know, kind of a like Uber esque, you know, type type endeavor. So touch on that a little bit, or maybe that's or or you can continue to walking through that timeline a little bit and, and get to that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so your first question before that was. Um, did I continue the entrepreneurial spirit in Florida? Yes, and yes, yeah. I, I studied entrepreneurship. And instead of writing a master's thesis, I could also found a business and then turn in all the papers related to that. Uh, yeah, as my master's thesis. 
And with that business, we had very strong hopes. It was called Locana, basically an Amazon for local retail stores, where you would connect the local inventories of all these local stores to one big platform so that you can compete against the really big online brand. And back then, this Austin, Keep Austin weird movement was really mm -hmm. big and yep. everyone wanted to buy local in Austin. And so we decided to move back to or to move to Austin to try to make it big there. And that's how I actually made it to Waco, Texas, because they offered me uh, this MBA, which is focused on venture capital and entrepreneurship, while at the same time also working on this business. Um, so long story short, that business did not really go super well. Um, I think we were maybe a little bit too early. That would probably be perfect business in Corona times. Mm, but yeah. Um, yeah, I stayed true to the venture capital industry when, I, when it came to that. Started working for venture capitalists here in Berlin. And, and then one of the things that we looked into was, you know, how can you have a more sustainable version of Uber? Right. And could that actually be a thing? And one of these companies called Clever Shuttle, they were one of these and they talked to me and we were pretty sure that we both liked each other. So I joined them, not as a co-founder but as one level below that to mm -hmm. help them, you know, go through everything from series A, series B to exit yeah. them in the end. That was really interesting to also see it not from a co-founder perspective. Mm -hmm. yeah. So what, where is that business now? It got bought by the biggest uh, railway company in the world, Deutsche Bahn. And I think what Deutsche Bahn, I'm not involved anymore since more than like two and a half years now, mm -hmm. I think, but um, I think the initial vision that they had when they bought it is to enable people to get from their house to the train station by Clever Shuttle, where the train then picks them up, brings them to the next city, and there the next Clever Shuttle waits again and brings them to their destination. So really solving the last mile transport problem. Right. Um, I'm not sure where they are currently, but I think they're still working on exactly that. Yeah, it's I mean, it was such an interesting idea. I mean, when I was watching the video, but I don't want to waste time on things that were in the past. We want to talk about things that are actually happening now. So it's it's you know, I've, I've done this for, you know, more than three years and interviewed a, a startup founder virtually every week for more than three years. And so often they're the business that they they started was was as a result of a personal pain point that they had you know like a yeah. personal issue they were solving it for themselves and they thought wow this has a broader application than just me so is that kind of your story in the background of one tool or tell us tell us like the origin story of, of how, how it got started yeah yeah i think the real origin story is that since like 10 years or so i've always been really interested in productivity tools productivity mm -hmm. software yeah like when i applied for my first jobs i did mass outreach emails to everyone before it was even a thing right uh and i always tried like when calendly wasn't existing yet i tried to optimize and auto schedule things in my calendars and so on so i always fell in love with these things especially then when they got more commercial and i kept that also i i kept that and also like pushed it towards my teams and in clever shuttle i had a pretty big team and all of a sudden I realized, oh man, now we're using hundreds of different SaaS tools. Mm. So software cloud-based tools. Yep. And what happened to me is that I was, I didn't know who was using what, first of all. But second, even when I tried to figure it out, I was constantly chasing the invoices. I 
I found people that left the company six months ago that were still on subscriptions and stuff like that happened not only like once when I did an audit, but literally every month when I had to turn in invoices. And I just said, this can't be how, how we do business nowadays and these fast growing tech companies, because the alternative is you go to a big sales force, you have one tool for everything, but that also doesn't really work. And so what I would like, what I wanted to have is basically, I wanted to have all these best of breed tools. That's how I call them mm -hmm. with all their specialists, whatever they do, right. but not the pain of chasing invoices, managing them and so on. And that's how I got the idea for, that's what it's called, one tool. Uh, uh, the idea to have one tool that manages this, all these tools in one place. And that's, yeah, we initially started a little bit different, but that's the, uh, the thing that one tool does today lets you manage all these tools in one place. And it's, I mean, it's, as I was looking at the, at the website and trying to get my head around exactly how this works. I mean, it seemed like it had like a multi benefit, multi feature that said, you know, you can manage the, how you're, you're paying invoices. You can manage even the, the utilization of the tool itself, like almost measure, you know, is this tool still effective? Is it still doing its, purpose is it is it earning its its way i guess you know is it is it the cost benefit analysis of using the tool so how do you let, let's kind of pull the curtain back a little bit and how does it integrate i mean do you have to log into all these tools and then like through some sort of api or something there it just connects all these tools together into one dashboard or what's the how, how does it work yeah exactly like what you just said um it's in very easy terms you see a kind of like an app store for all the different tools that you can connect to and you mm -hmm. click on a connect button and then it will forward you to the integration that we have with this tool and normally this integration would ask you for either an api key or your username and your password right. and to accept accept that we have access to certain rights here and then literally a setup per tool takes you anywhere 20 to 30 seconds or so then it's connected and once you connect multiple tools that you use in, in a company, it will all auto match them to the same accounts. So all of a sudden you get this overview of Kevin is using five tools and he's spending so much every month. And in addition to that, because we have these deep integrations, it will also allow you to on and offboard users with one click. And I think that's where it becomes really interesting yeah. because one thing is having the is having the analysis about this. But if you can't take action, then it's only worth so much. But right. with us, you can say, hey, I see that Kevin is using three tools he's not supposed to use, one click, and you are off-boarded of these tools, rather than having to go into all these different software individually to find the user management section where I could delete you. Now, does it manage licenses as well? Like if you have a per user license or something like that for, for these tools, like say Salesforce or something like that. I mean, do you, are you managing that? Is, is it that granular? Yeah, it depends on the connection, but for the big tools, it also does manage licenses. Mm -hmm. Let's say for example, Slack, we could go in and say, I want Kevin to be part of the marketing channel. So please give him a user level role in the marketing channel. Yeah. Man, that is, that is, a, that's an amazing interface. So is the is the i mean is this all i guess centralized into one dashboard so if i have one tool am i logging into a, a virtually a dashboard and looking at users and looking at the tools and utilization metrics and things like that or is yeah it and the best thing about it is 
of course, if you are the administrator of all these tools, then mm -hmm. you see your master dashboard where you see right. utilization data, how many people log in, where tools are over or underutilized. Um, you have defined groups and departments where you can say, I want the marketing department to only use these tools versus the tech department to use these tools. You see the invoices, all the consolidated billing data and so on and so forth. But, and that's not developed yet, but as in the future, of course, we want also every employee to have their dashboard. Mm -hmm. And what that means then is that they have their dashboard where they, for once, they see all their tools and then they click on them and they are automatically logged in. It's called single sign-on. Mm -hmm. And on the second side, they also see all the tools that are available within this organization. And then rather than them just chasing or looking for tools somewhere in the internet, they can see exactly what's in store because it's like an app store right. just for this company environment. And when they request a tool, it will pop up at your place, Kevin, again, if you are the admin, mm -hmm. and you can approve that access. Wow. So, I mean, you can be really finite about who has what tools and, and how they would utilize these tools. Um, I mean, that, that's amazing. Is, the, is this dashboard like customizable? I mean, can I, can I add certain widgets and take certain widgets away, like things I just want to see? Or is it, pretty, is it a pretty standard dashboard that just shows all tools that, especially if I'm the admin, that shows all tools that are incorporated into one tool? Uh, it is customizable while it is still very easy to use. I think that's the fair answer to it. Mm -hmm. um, if you look into other compet competitors of ours, you will find that you know sometimes it takes months to set things up yeah. Yeah, because it's just so complicated. And they say it's because it's so highly customizable, but it's really not. It's just not proper UI. And um, for us, we try to keep the balance where we can still say you're going to be offboarded or onboarded within this tool in like 30 seconds. Right. On the other side, we give you a lot of options to filter through whatever you want to see. That's I, it is such an amazing tool. Is was there a? I mean, you you said there are competitors out there, but are there direct competitors, or is like each tool kind of does different things, and each or each, I guess. SaaS solution kind of does different things, or do you have somebody that you say, no, we go head to head. We are, I mean, it 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 is, you know, Tesla. I would say and, we are yeah. the only ones really doing what we're doing, but of mm -hmm. course there are competitors to the left and to the right. Right. And uh, what you would say in the IT industry, you would say there's provisioning providers and there's analytics providers. Mm. Yeah. And then we are probably, I don't know, provisioning and anal analytics combined. Right. Yeah. Somehow, but yeah, I think. From what's well, really well known is Okta. Yeah, it's a 30, I don't know, market cap currently $35 billion or so. And they do mostly provisioning. Mm -hmm. yeah? And we're just trying to be a better Okta for mid-market, not so much enterprise, because it's so easy to set up. Yeah. You don't need a full IT team to just set it up. Um, but yeah, on the other side, there are a lot of analytics solutions, but if you don't have really deep integrations to tools, when you only connect to accounting systems, then your, yeah, your accuracy of data only goes so much, mm -hmm. in their case, to just the top line costs. Mm -hmm. Whereas we can tell you on a user level basis what you're spending yeah, without that, having amazing. to set up anything. That, that's, I mean, because actually, if you don't know on a, on a per user basis, it, it's almost useless information. I mean, just because I'm spending a million dollars on a tool doesn't mean that it's it's either, you know, favorable or unfavorable it's it's you know it's exactly. beneficial yeah. or not i mean i don't know if if every you know user in my company is using it or if three people are using it you know so 
it it's certainly you know you you want to to have that second level of of information but is there a who's your who's your primary connection point in a company is it a, the cio cto is it a provisioning officer is it a you know is it the chief exec i mean is it chief operating officer who who is your primary point of entry yeah the funny thing is I cannot really tell you. Like in the beginning, we thought uh, it's got to be the CIO. Mm -hmm. And then we thought it's got to be the system administrator. And now it really depends. Like when we talk to companies, 50 to 100 employees, most of the times is the CEO or the CIO mm -hmm. uh, or the COO, one of these three. Right. Uh, if we get, go a little bit bigger in company size, we see everything from system administrator to vendor managers to procurement teams to CFOs to financial managers. It's just very, very broad. It seems like there's a really big need in the market to solve the SaaS chaos. But with that, if you talk to so many different customer groups or segments, they also have kind of different requirements around your product. Mm -hmm. um, so we're trying to balance that. Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I would think that you would have an unlimited list of people that would want bespoke, you know, modifications done to the tool just to meet their, you know, particular, you know, circumstances yeah. or whatever. And there's a point that you say, you know, actually this has to be almost off the shelf a little bit in some, in some capacity, but. And that's what we're saying, you know, of course you can always go to specialist tools and then mm -hmm. specialist tools will allow you to do, go very deep and very granular on, on one software. Right. But then there's a decision you've got to make. Do you want to manage one software? Or do you want to manage all your software? Yeah. What's more of more benefit to you? And then that also answers the question of how granular can you go? Because if you want to actually manage all your software on a very granular level, then, well, it's probably not going to be a solution that you can set up in 30 minutes. Right, right. Yeah. Is there a, I mean, with, with all this integration, with all the, you know, logins and things like that, do, is there a, just a, an, an enormous security risk that you all have to manage? Yeah. And well, first it's the security risk. I think we're pretty good on that because we have awesome engineers that, you know, take care of that every day. Like mm -hmm. we try to, well, we are encrypting everything we can. We make sure that we never exchange really data except for tokens and so on in our mm -hmm. systems. But of course, there's also security laws that we have to right. apply to. Like in our case, it's two. It's the uh, American versions where we are currently working on our SOC 2 compliance. Mm -hmm. But then also the Europeans where we are working on, you know, GBT, uh, GB, uh, oh, general data protection. Right. Yeah. And um, yeah. On the other side, it's also what we're selling. So we've got to be good in it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because when we're selling it's actually more secure using one tool because you see which employees are not supposed to use software that mm. they're still, still subscribed to. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big benefit, but then we've got to make sure that we are secure on ours. Right. Yeah. Is there a, is there a learning curve with a potential client or when you talk to them, they just get it. They just, they just understand it from, from the first moment you explain to them the benefits of this and, or is this like, yeah, they say, I kind of see the need for this, but, I mean, what's, how much is it going to cost? What's the cost benefit analysis? I mean, we're really, I don't know that we're leaking a lot of money because of, you know, licenses that we're not using or if we're, you know, tools, stuff like that. Is there, or do they just like, when you're talking to them, they just get it. Yeah, it really depends. And it depends on two factors. It depends on how many cloud tools. So how many of, of their overall software are already connected to cloud. Mm -hmm. um, if you have companies that are mostly using on-premise cloud, 
then uh, on-premise software, they're probably not getting it. Yeah. Uh, because it also means they're probably a few years behind. I was going to say, uh, they may not be around in three years anyway. So yeah. Yeah, not, I don't want to say this, but <laughs> of course, there's a tendency that more and more companies now go fully into cloud. Yeah. And you realize when you talk to someone who's not fully in the cloud yet, or even has a really big percentage of their tools overall on-premise, that it's probably not the most futuristic company out there. Mm -hmm. Um, that's where we see that they don't get it. And on the other side, we see that it's very easy for a customer to instantly understand and to set it up. And then sometimes, you know, they want to go eat more granular on specific things and so on. And then these are specific feature requests. And of course, we're a very young company with very limited resources right now, working super hard on actually making all these requests, put, putting them into a product and still keeping the simplicity that we want to have. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. I mean, it is still, you know, seemingly early stage, but, you know, you do have some pretty strong backing. I mean, I saw on your website that, you know, Y Combinator is, you know, kind of taking a bite of this apple. And and I guess maybe the equivalent in Germany is, is also involved in in kind of supporting this. So where do you see, I mean, what's what's been the growth since what well, first of all, when did this start? When did you when did you start one tool and what what's been the growth since you started it? Well, first of all, we started end of 2019. And then we got accepted to Y Combinator at the beginning of 2020. Mm -hmm. And then everyone told us, and I think that's also part of the reason why we got accepted to Y Combinator. It's like, what you're trying to do, it's impossible. You will never be able to handle so many different integrations on a, such an easy scale that it's easy for people uh, and still make it very scalable. And I think, of course, it has taken some while now, over, over 12 months until to just come up with the infrastructure and the design to all make it secure, easy to get the integration standard right and so on. But since then, when we went live six weeks ago, we've already now over uh, 90 different companies in the pipeline. Wow, so, in um, six weeks, that, that's pretty yeah. amazing. I mean, you, obviously you were working with them previous to you know six weeks ago, you were kind of talking about yeah. onboarding them and stuff like that, but yeah. that that's amazing. I mean, so what's what do you see in the next, say, 12 to 18 months, next three years, what what do you think the that upward ride hockey stick is going to look like? I think it's going to be really steep because I think people are going to realize that you don't need a super heavy focused IT team just to set up provisioning solutions, that mm. you maybe even can use a tool like one tool to hand it over to HR or to allow your IT team to spend time on more valuable things than just managing their SaaS yeah. all the time. And if you can get this out to not enterprise companies, but to the mid market, a company is 50 to 500 employees. And they're way more than out there than enterprise tools. Yeah. And this is going to be probably one of the safest bets for a really safe hockey stick. For us, of course, core priority is that we keep the product stable, secure, and that we actually get more and more integrations with tools over time. Mm -hmm. But if we work on these three things, I'm very confident that we can be one of the leading players in the provisioning and SaaS analytics and management space. And you can do this anywhere in the world or are you primarily focusing in the States or where, where's kind of your primary target? Yeah, 60% States, 40% Europe. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think it fits us. We are a very international company right now of the 15 people that work for one tool. Um, I think we have 14 or 13 different 
uh, nations working for us and nationalities. Um, yeah, uh, of course, like the States is a strong market. I think in terms of cloud usage, they are years ahead of any other region in the world. They're way more open towards using these cloud tools and that's gonna be our primary market for now. And the the idea of like blockchain does are you are you thinking in those terms? I mean, kind of like future iterations and how this kind of integrates with with blockchain. Or um, I may be yeah, asking a question really that's like, outside my own expertise here. Yeah, what I really like about blockchain is, in our case, is that it really allows you to securely authenticate. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in terms of logging in somewhere. Right. And I know there's a lot of solutions that allow you to do single sign-on right now, but they do it over their server capacity. Yeah. So what I see is, and I've always struggled to see a use case really in blockchain. Maybe I'm not getting it. Maybe I'm not smart enough for blockchain, but this is the first really big use case I see mm -hmm. when you can say, hey, we are an identity provider right now. It's maybe only for enterprise or businesses. But if we develop it the right way, we could potentially be your single sign-on and your single login for everything. Yeah, for signing up for Uber, for signing up to Google, I don't know, like a similar button to like the Google sign-in button, but right. for everyone mm -hmm. and securely from, uh, yeah, hosted by blockchain. Um, we're not there yet, that's all the future, but yeah. maybe it's something that we will consider uh, very soon. I mean, with, with technological advances, you know, just quantum, you know, speed, the, how, how that like memory, you know, doubles every 18 months or something like, I'm just yeah. crazy, like how, how quickly technology changes. But um, I mean, I could, I could certainly see that, you know, you wake up 12 months from now and you're thinking, you know, we, we actually had a pretty severe pivot and we still do our kind of core business for sure. But we've had this new use case that we didn't even consider 12 months ago that that is a huge, you know, add on or it's it's maybe even a, a different branch of of, you know, what one tool can do. And and, uh, you know, a lot of times those pivots overtake the initial idea, you know, yeah. as, as something that just really can can grow. But if you're if you're thinking, who is my ideal customer? Describe kind of your ideal avatar size of company you know, maybe industry they're in, whatever, you know, for mm -hmm. one tool. Yeah, the ideal customer is a very fast growing company onboarding at least 10 employees every month uh, because onboarding is one of our key automations. Um, mostly young companies, younger than 10 years old uh, and anywhere 120 to 150 employees uh, at the stage when we start talking. This ideal customer uses all of their software in the cloud. Yeah, so it's very connected. Mm -hmm. G Suite, Office 365, Slack, Asana, you name it, with all these tools. And has to figure out what they're using, not only for auditing purposes, for example, because they're going through a SOC 2 compliance audit or something like that, but also in terms of just on and offboarding, making their overall stack more secure. Yeah, you have obviously answered that question before. So uh, you you had that answer down pat exactly. <laughs> Somebody has asked you that question before. You guys you know, have sat in a room somewhere my, and determined my that. My biggest jobs when I'm leading the sales team, which I also do, yeah, yeah, that we've got to be really clear on who our tough customer, core customer is, who we want to have. Also, when we pre-qualify others. Yeah. yeah. 
Well, that that's a perfect segue into my very next question. So you and I are jumping on a lift. We're going to go up 10, 10 floors. You've got about 45 seconds. Give me your best elevator pitch for onetool.co. I'm a, I'm a CTO, I'm a CIO, and I'm standing there and you, you think you, you need my tool. Yeah. Imagine you are getting 10 new employees next month. How are you going to go into uh, license generation for all these 10 new employees? I bet your current way to do it is you go into Slack manually and Office 365 manually, G Suite manually, and so on and so forth. So you end up spending two, four days or so for your employee to onboard them. The alternative is you just use one tool. You connect all your tools once yeah, for 30 minutes, and then you can onboard all your employees with just one single click. And so my payment information is in there already. So when I onboard them, it just automatically invoices me. And um, you see everything, you you're me, fully connected. Yeah. It, is it just the tool or do you actually, you know, walk me through like how to use the tool? And, and like, I mean, are you showing me, okay, this is how you would onboard all your cloud platforms that you've got, you know, that type of thing. Yeah, the good thing is, yes, we show you, of course, you know, we have account managers here that show you through the whole process and that explain it to you. But the good thing is the UI is so easy to understand that yeah. after the first 30 minute onboarding that we have, it's very self-explanatory. Well, the elevator door just dinged and it opened and I stepped out into my office, but I turned around and I grabbed your card because you really captured me in that in that 45 seconds and I'm, I'm sold that you, you're going to save me time and uh, what what's like the the pricing structure? How do you how do you price this? Is it a per user basis? Is it a per platform basis? Is it a based on the size of the company? Yeah, it's based on the size of the company and the tools that they want to integrate with the number of tools. Mm -hmm. So normally the starting point is anywhere two to three hundred dollars a month, and then it goes up all the way to I don't know eighty ninety thousand dollars a year. That would be a pretty pretty good sized company with a lot of different platforms. That's that more than on the like upper mid market company level. Right, yeah. right, yeah. right. So but normally, I would say the average company right now we're also still doing pilots with some of the companies mm -hmm. that we're signing up, and then right now you still get pretty awesome deals for pretty low rate compared to anything else that you can see in the market. Kind of early bird pricing. If you, if you want to sign on now, you get it. You get a discount. You get a deal. Yeah, so. exactly. <laughs> So it's, I mean, you've had such a short track record, but I mean, what has been kind of the, you know, your, your NPR, your net promoter or NPS, your net promoter score in a very short period of time. Are you getting good feedback from, from your clients that are saying, wow, you, you kind of saved my life here. Yeah. Well, the number one feedback that we're getting is, you know, normally one week after onboarding, we always have the first feedback call. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Not only to make sure the customers are happy, but also to know what actually is missing in the products right. to develop better. And the number one feedback that we always hear is like, yeah, you guys already saved me a lot of security threats because I discovered so many employees that are still subscribed to software. They left the company six months ago and just because of one tool, I was able to unsubscribe them or to even discover that they're still subscribed. Wow. Yeah. yeah. That, that, that to me, if you didn't do deliver anything else, <laughs> if you could give peace of mind, you know, yeah. for, for companies about, you know, kind of patching up the, the holes on the back end, that, that was, that's amazing. But it's, I mean, such an interesting idea, an interesting tool. And I mean, I love, I love the fact that we've gotten to talk at such an early stage. 
And it's going to be fun to um, have you circle back in about 12 to 18 months. And we're going to hear about that big pivot that you yeah. <laughs> and the potential oh, buyout. Maybe that big skyrocket hockey stick. There that, you go. Uh, that big hockey about. stick. I hope that this happens, that we meet again in 18 months. And I can tell you about how we made it to like a super uh, cross finance hyper growth startup because we're actually solving the SaaS chaos. Yeah. Well, I, I think that you're certainly, uh, you certainly got a good start, you know, and, and you've seen that, I mean, if you onboarded 90 clients already, I mean, that's amazing in such a short period of time, but Gordy, is there anything that I haven't asked you about that you'd kind of like to just wrap up with and, and uh, just touch on, and then maybe just tell people where the best place to find you online. Yeah, I think nothing you haven't touched on. I think you did an amazing job asking these questions. It really shows that you know something about also the software industry here. I just um, know a little bit about it, everything. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know a lot um, about anything. Yeah, everyone who's interested, you can find one tool on onetool.co and you can always reach me uh, under Gordy at onetool.co if you want to become a customer or even give us feedback or have any questions, of course. Well, I, Gordy, I really appreciate you taking the time today and, and I want to applaud you. I mean, he's, he's very responsive online to folks. So I, I really appreciated that about him as well. When I reached out to him, he was very quick to respond and uh, it's going to be really fun to watch the, watch the growth of one tool and just to see what, what, uh, you know, is in store in the next 12 to 18 months, you know, for you and your company and, and the growth. I mean, Sounds like to me that you're going to have to use the tool yourself as you're onboarding these new employees as your capacity grows <laughs> in, in a very short period of time. But Gordy, I really appreciate you just chatting with us today and just really playing your part in helping all boats rise in a rising tide. Gordy, have a Thank great you, weekend. Kevin. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Take care. Thank you. Another episode in the books. We hope you heard some great takeaways. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a five-star review on iTunes and YouTube. As always, thanks for listening to Rising Tide.